Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the European football expert, Kevin Hatchard, and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. Massive week, massive goals, massive highs, and some massive mistakes. Should we do it all again? Burnley won, Manchester United won, Manchester United drop out of the Champions League places. We had our opportunities to score. But in the end, uh, one point is just not enough. Yes, we'll have another nine games this weekend, including a huge game day. It's the meeting of the Red Bull Ralphs as Manchester United take on Surgeon Saints. We will delve into the race for fourth place, which, let's be honest, if it was a raffle, the winner would probably say, nah, stick it back in and give somebody else a go. We look at Spurs, Everton's injuries, Burnley's home form and Wilfred Zaha's penalty. Stop laughing. Just stop it. It's out of order. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello to the wonderful Kevin Hatchard, European football commentator. Welcome back. How are you? I'm wonderful. Delighted to be here, Sam. I thought I did uh, Villa against Leeds, so I'm still on a high after that because that was barely controlled chaos from the first whistle to the last. That was brilliant. Uh, and Alex Crook, no doubt, beaming from ear to ear this morning as reports circulate that Maurizio Pochettino is the United Stars' favourite to be their new manager. No surprise. Uh, should have given him the job two years ago. Should have given him the job when they got rid of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They've gone the long way around and uh, I guess the proof will be in the pudding. Was Alex Crook right or, all along? Or am I going to get absolutely battered by you for the next uh, couple of seasons? This is this is Alex Crook who sent me a text. You know, you know how he's always right, mainly because he changed his mind fifteen <laughs> times in a week. Uh, so on Tuesday night, as I was walking out of Turf Moor, he sent me a text message: "Nailed on, nailed on. Spurs are going to get in the top four, six to four. Whatever you do." <laughs> Twenty-four hours later, wouldn't Southampton brilliant? I told you, King Ralph is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, lots to talk about not just Manchester United Uh, Leeds who had a brilliant result in midweek Uh, Tottenham's failings and of course Southampton who after a terrific breathless win over Spurs head to Old Trafford One Manchester United won. Manchester United drop out of the Champions League places. We had our opportunities to score, 
but in the end uh, one point is just not enough 72 shots on goal they've scored mm. three goals that's about people not doing their jobs very well on the pitch Tottenham 2 Southampton 3 and it's come from Shea Adams it was uh, fantastic to watch congrats to everybody who was in the stadium this is the games we want to see in the Premier League he is maybe with the right board behind him with the right backing he can prove how good he is Saturday isn't Saturday unless it's game day Manchester United have failed to beat Burnley, Middlesbrough, Newcastle, Aston Villa and struggled to beat Norwich City under Ralph Ranick. They've produced another Jekyll and Hyde performance against Burnley and have won just three of their last six home matches. How much confidence, Crookie, do you have uh, that they will beat Southampton, who are terrific against Tottenham, fighting back from 1-0 and 2-1 down to get a victory? Absolutely zero confidence. In fact, I uh, messaged you during... Uh, the highlights on Wednesday night saying every chance Southampton win at Old Trafford. Um, we'll talk about United in a minute, but Southampton are well coached. They're a very united dressing room now, having uh, maybe got rid of a couple of uh, detracting voices in the summer, shall we say. They play high energy football, um, pressing football. They keep the opposition honest. Everything that Manchester United haven't done, um, really. And Kevin and I were talking before we came on air and he was saying, well, United had enough chances to win the game at Burnley. Yes, they did. They had enough chances to win the game against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup on Friday night, but they didn't win either of those games and they haven't raised their performance levels enough for me since Ralph Ranjit came in to suggest this interim appointment has been anything other than an unmitigated disaster. Um, I don't think the manager is is up to it. We, we, we talked about that on the on the last podcast but the players have to start taking responsibility as well because there's no character, there's no commitment, there's no leadership, there's no fight. And they seem almost accepting of the fact they're not winning football matches and that isn't the Manchester United way. Yeah, I mean, Southampton's high-energy, high-pressing approach is the kind of thing that rattled Manchester United, Manchester United as we saw in the games with uh, Middlesbrough. And in particular, I think on uh, Tuesday night when Burnley, only for 10, 15 minutes after half-time, actually came out, did that, caused them all sorts of problems. And actually, Manchester United's defence creaked um, a couple of times, only conceded once, but they could have conceded one or two more in that game. Um, Ralph Ranick's taken charge of 12 games now, Kevin. Was this what you were expecting? Because it's not a particularly impressive set of statistics. I know they've only lost one game. They've won six, drawn five. They've scored 16, conceded nine. But their opponents have been Palace, Young Boys, Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley twice, Wolves, Villa twice, Brentford, West Ham and Borough. Yeah, I accept that. Uh, but I think it's not quite as bad as Crookie's making out. Uh, you know, they have only lost, they've only lost the one game in the Premier League. Um, they've only conceded multiple goals once in the Premier League. They've won the XG battle in six of nine. And I think what you have to bear in mind here is that he's taken his over. Face, his face when you said they've won the XG battle. But this is the issue, it. right? This is the <laughs> issue because I think it's too easy to slip into, oh, this is a disaster. This is the same old thing. This is the same old rhetoric we were hearing towards the end with Solskjaer. Not everything is a disaster. And when Rangnick took over, he took over a club that was going nowhere. But you've what you've done effectively, as Manchester United, is you brought in the ultimate project guy and said, oh, we'd like you to turn this round in just a few weeks. It doesn't work like that. But there have been incremental gains, I feel. This is a great test of that, by the way, against Southampton, because they're in terrific form. They were brilliant against Spurs. The irony here, of course, is that 
they've worked together before, Rangnick and Hasenhutl, and they actually disagreed at one stage about the direction tactically they wanted to take Leipzig in because Hasenhutl wanted to be uh, a bit more flexible in terms of the approach and Rangnick wanted to stick to what was very much the Red Bull method, that verticality, uh, that kind of up and atom. So I think we need to look squarely at the players. I think we can talk about coaches. We can talk about the impact Rangnick may or may not have made. But you have to look at a group of players that has underperformed for a long, long time. You have to look at the team ethic. Are they working hard enough? Are they really finding that extra 1% or 2% that you need at the top level? And I think you'd have to say that the answer is no. And so to change that kind of club culture in just a few weeks is an enormous task. And they had a COVID outbreak in the middle of it. And I think when you're talking about players, one player in particular and his behaviour certainly comes under scrutiny, and that's Cristiano Ronaldo stomping down the tunnel again after the game with Burnley, after being dropped to the substitutes bench, irritated when replaced against Brentford. Um, Has he become a drain rather than the radiator he was when he first arrived, Crookie? It's a very difficult question to answer because I think now we can say that it hasn't been as successful as maybe a lot of us expected when Ronaldo returned. It was obviously a very sentimental story and he is for me the greatest goal scorer that has ever played the game. However, I think he has his limitations now. I think he, if you look at the goals that he scores, a lot of them are from crosses into the penalty area. I've seen him a couple of times try and run at players down the wing like he used to in his younger days. He just doesn't have the legs to do that anymore. But while it doesn't set the right tone, him consistently stomping down the tunnel and refusing to acknowledge the away fans. I can understand his frustrations because this is a natural born winner. This is a player who has the highest standards. And at the moment, I think he feels that his teammates and probably the manager as well, aren't living up to those high standards. So rather than blaming Ronaldo uh, for copping a strop and, and being a sulky character, I think we should blame the players around him for not being able to live up to the levels that he expects them to. Paul Pogba, for example, played really well against Middlesbrough, got his goal against Burnley, and then he disappeared. Paul Pogba is a world-class player, but he doesn't produce world-class performances for Manchester United. Actually, I I think he played well twice. He played well in the first half against Middlesbrough and first half against Burnley. I just wonder whether or not he's not up to full fitness yet, Kevin. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think this is the wrong way round. Uh, You can't say about Ronaldo, well, he's annoyed because the rest of the players aren't up to par. He's supposed to be a leader. If he's one of the greatest players ever to play the game, he should be setting the tone. He should be setting the example. And he isn't doing that. And I look at his time at Juventus and you would look at the numbers, you'd look at the goals scored and you'd say, wow, okay, he obviously did his job. However, he was the poster boy for a project that failed because they were further away from winning the Champions League when he left than when he arrived. They lost their run of winning the Scudetto. And I just wonder whether with him, you have to make so many concessions in terms of the overall team shape, in terms of financials this financial side of it in terms of what the club wants to do you have to make so many concessions i wonder if he's worth it i'm not sure now he is but kevin and i know you've sold us a few dummies uh, over the course of the last uh, few years you know havertz Werner, 
Rannick. Um, the, so- the, uh, the man who got the Champions League winning goal last season. I have heard We're joking. Yeah. We're joking. We're winding you up. Uh, but Jaden Sancho, I think, was uh, uh, he start. Just watch this space with Jaden Sancho. I got yes. a feeling that he's starting to ripple into life. I've seen him twice live in the last week, and um, I thought he looks leaner, fitter, sharper, more confident on the ball. He's obviously decided that coming in from that left-hand side is his preferred position now. They're even playing Rashford on the opposite side in order to let him do that. So let's just see what happens with him over the next couple of weeks because I think he's he's starting to edge into a, a bit of form. One quick one on that, Kevin, and then we, we'll move on to Southampton. What I liked about him playing down the left was the link up with Luke Shaw. And we saw that a few times. And that's critical because the reason he did so well on the left uh, when he played at Borussia Dortmund last season was his link up with Rafael Guerrero. If he can get that kind of click with Luke Shaw, then he's going to really come alive. Yeah, there was certainly evidence of that on uh, Tuesday night, especially in the first 45 minutes. Let's turn to Southampton because um, what's the extent of Brozier's injury? Do we know, Crookie? He was injured to, in the build-up to the second Spurs goal, which sent Conte bonkers. Well, he came into the game carrying a knock, having hobbled off at the weekend. So I would imagine it's, it's a recurrence of that. I hope he plays because we've got a big feature uh, on his rise plan for game day. So that would be a bit disappointing if he wasn't in the 11. And I hope he plays for Southampton. And, and listen, I, I had quite a heated debate with Adrian Durham in the build-up to Wednesday night's action because he called me the the, the, the biggest member of the Ralph Hasenhutl fan club. He's not convinced. He fired loads of statistics. I mean, the number of goals they've conceded, I think it's 200 now or something in his reign. But like the number of games that they lose. Yeah, but like Pochettino... Hasenhutl's biggest asset for me is that he's a brilliant training ground coach. And he has to be because Southampton don't have the budget, even with a new ownership uh, that a lot of the clubs in the Premier League have. And Broger is a casing point because when he came to the club, he wasn't fit enough to, to play the, the type of high tempo football that Hasenhutl wanted. I think there were some concerns about his attitude, to be brutally honest, but they harnessed that and they've turned him in to, for me, one of the most exciting number nines in the Premier League. He's still very raw, but he's old school, isn't he, with the way that he plays the game. You don't get many number nines like that now. So I really hope he plays from a Southampton perspective. From a Manchester United perspective, I'd be absolutely delighted if he was crocked. Yeah, I mean, he's excellent. has been for a while. Obviously, Chelsea recognised that. That's why they gave him a five-year contract before they sent him out to Southampton. But also, you know, he's been playing for Albania and scoring goals for Albania before he was at Southampton. He is a talent, even though he was born in Slough, people. He was born in Slough. Um, look, um, James Ward-Prowse played brilliantly in midweek. Manchester United stopping that delivery into the box is going to be key. Someone needs to be detailed to keep an eye on that. Anybody got any idea, just very quickly before we move on to Leicester versus West Ham, why Ralph Hasenhutl indicated this week that he might retire at the end of his contract? I mean, he's, I mean, he's not even as old as you, Crookie. I mean, he doesn't look as old as you, Crookie. Uh, well, he was asked to clarify those comments at the press conference before the United game, and he, he didn't really backtrack, to be honest. He just said a lot can happen in two and a half years. I'll be 57 uh, by then. If I sign a new three-year contract, I'll be 60. And I think... He's made it quite clear all the way along that he doesn't see himself as a sort of Roy Hodgson type character, Ranieri, who goes on into his 70s. What I think will probably happen is that at the end of his contract, if he doesn't want to stay on his manager, I think he might well be offered a role upstairs at Southampton. He's very committed uh, to the project and to rebuilding the whole football club. And I think that's quite admirable uh, in this modern world where managers changing clubs on a regular basis is the norm. It's an interesting one because there's a few examples of this in German football. Jurgen Klopp's talked about 
uh, the potential of him ending earlier than we thought he might. Um, there's definitely been comments from Julian Nagelsmann, who we see as one of the best young coaches in world football. He said, look... Doogie Hauser, he can't finish yet. He's <laughs> yeah, but he said uh, there may well be a situation where in 10 years I'll go and do something else. So that that kind of conversation, and obviously Hasenhutl isn't German, but he's come from a German football background. That kind of conversation about just going and doing something else and stopping and not going all the way through until they have to kind of leave you out of the stadium. Um, that kind of conversation is quite widespread. OK, let's turn to uh, West Ham and Leicester. Leicester, West Ham kicks off on Sunday afternoon at 4.30. Now, on the 12th of March, 2018, um, the date Paul Colburn turned himself into police after having encroached onto the pitch at the London Stadium, having planted a corner flag onto the playing surface. The relationship between West Ham's owners and its supporters was nothing less than toxic, as low as it's probably ever been. Since then, slowly but surely, and thanks mostly in part to the regime put together by David Moyes and the football that they have played, noises often slowly turned to rumbles in the background and discontent had largely been kept under control. The club have been soaring, especially this season. David Moyes and his staff have done terrifically and West Ham are playing some of the best stuff they've played in years. But West Ham United seem like a club that are hell-bent on stoking it all up again. What on earth is wrong with them? I don't want to go into the cat video again because everyone's seen it, everyone's had their reaction and everyone's probably had enough of hearing about it because it was quite disturbing. But it's not the only failure that West Ham United have made. Failures of leadership are all over this joint. The phantom bids for players they were never going to get. The talks with strikers four hours before the window shut. Duvan Zapata. I think they made an approach for him at seven o'clock at night on deadline day and wondered why they couldn't get hold of his club at Atlanta. What does that tell us about the leadership at West Ham United? Because arguably, you know, David Moyes was put in an invidious position by his ownership. He was told to make the decision himself. They should have taken it out of his hands. And... I suppose the, the, the point I'm trying to make is the seeds of doubt in this regime are well sown. And in this society, you don't have to strike too many matches to make a flame crook. I actually wrote on Twitter when that team sheet was handed in on Tuesday, respect can take a long time to earn, uh, but can be lost in an instant. And I think it did take a long time for West Ham to earn respect. It left a sour taste, not just in the eyes of their own fans, but in football fans in general. They basically shoehorn their way into... London Stadium at the taxpayers' expense. I think they have won a lot of plaudits in the last season or two because they've challenged the meritocracy. They've dared to try and go toe-to-toe with that established top four, top six. Declan Rice, I think, is a player widely adored um, by rival Premier League fans. But all that hard work was undone when Kurt Zuma's name appeared on the team sheet. It was an absolutely baffling decision. I agree with you to a point. I think the owners should have called him up earlier in the day and said, whatever you do, don't pick Kurt Zuma tonight. But I was actually disappointed with the reaction of the West Ham fans inside London Stadium. I thought this was a real opportunity for them to make a point. And actually, a couple of West Ham fans did contact me on social media and say, I've handed my ticket back just in case he plays and I can't stand to see it. But the fans inside the ground didn't give him the type of reaction that I was expecting. The Watford fans did, obviously. But I think the West Ham fans would have been within their rights to boo their own player. And I think they would have made a statement that they disagree with the decision. And then you listen to the sports bar driving home on Tuesday night 
and they're calling up saying, well, it was a massive game. You know, we needed him to help us at the back. Sometimes there are more important things in life than three points on a football pitch. And this was one of those occasions. It, to me, it's an example that football is rotten to the core and, and has no morals. And I, I wonder Again, how I mean, that's it, a dangerous I, statement to, because this isn't every single player, is it? And that's, that is the issue, really, I think. You know, the fact is that it isn't every single player, but people who don't watch football follow football or spend much time with footballers will come to that view because of this video, because it is widely circulated and more people will see that this week than they will a football match. And that is, that is a, a, a troubling statistic, really. I mean, the reason he was so determined to pick Kurt Zuma, let's be completely honest, is because uh, Diop hasn't recovered from being bullied out of the game at Kidderminster by a 32-year-old non-league German, journeyman. I mean, that, that, that is the reason. There's no doubt about that. That's why he felt he had to pick Kurt Zuma. Um, I think going forward it's going to come back and, and haunt them. And, and you, I just wonder, and I worry because I, I was so impressed with the way they've gone about their business over the course of the last couple of years under David, that now that's going to go the other way. Because once you start losing public support, once you start double doubting yourself, once you start reacting to criticism, and they will, because actually David's not particularly good at taking criticism, it, it, it may end up snowballing. And that could be a danger for a West Ham team that have already failed to add to a squad that was competing, Kevin. Yeah, I think there's a couple of strands here. I think the decision to play Zuma was completely the wrong one for obvious reasons. It wouldn't have hurt them that much in the grand scheme of things to have left him out of the side and then you can bring him back after you've announced the big fine, after you've announced the fact that the money will go to animal welfare. That would have been the right way to do it because you you make point right what he's done is completely unacceptable we are not going to select him because it's very difficult david moyes came out in the, uh, afterwards and said look i'm an animal, animal lover but he's one of our better players now he shouldn't have been in that position so in the What's first place but it doesn't make any sense you know you can't say well i like animals but this dude's a really good defender so if he's kicked a cat we're still going to pick him so it was a mess as a, uh, it was a PR mess. So that's the first thing. They should have dropped him, then brought him back after they'd announced the fine and what have you. The second thing is about the transfer policy. If I was a West Ham fan, I would look at Burnley signing Vout Veghorst and be aghast because there is a guy who was available for 12 million who would have been perfect for West Ham. He would have provided cover and competition for Mikel Antonio. He would have provided a focal point in attack. He would have given them depth in attack going into what could be some very important Europa League games down the track because to their credit, they've given the Europa League a proper go. The final point I just want to quickly address is something Crookie said about football being rotten. And I understand why he said that. But I think we do have to be careful. There is so much good in football. And I've recently on Twitter tried, I've made this kind of pledge for the rest of the year. I'm going to put up a positive football story, a charity foundation or some kind of initiative to show that there is a hell of a lot of good in football. And football has a lot of power to unite people, has a lot of power to improve people's circumstances. But you're right, Sam. The headlines convince people who don't really watch football that football is awful. I take issue with that. And I think it's about time we showed the good side of it as well as the bad side. I totally agree with you. And I do think that is the danger. And that, I said this on air on Tuesday night. You know, the big problem is, is that we want to pull people into our tent and we get to do that usually at World Cups and European Championships where our audience 
goes from three, four million people watching football on a daily basis to nine, 10, sometimes 20 and 25 million people watching football on a daily basis. And, you know, those people are available to us. They're, they're, they've obviously got some passing interest in the game or, or irregular interest in the game. But when you see these images and you see this going on and football's failure to deal with it, you put them off and that sets you back again. You don't get to bring those into the tent, which is a bit of a problem. Talking of people who are leaving the tent, Leicester City seem to be leaving the uh, European club very quickly. Uh, they're dropping like a stone. Um, they've shown that the only way is down from the heights of the FA Cup campaign, haven't they? Um, terrible at the weekend. Brendan Rodgers was... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's successor four months ago. Now he'll be lucky to be the Leicester boss in the summer, the way things are going. What 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 can he do to rectify this situation? Well, first and foremost, he was never Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's successor in my eyes for reasons that I've detailed in this podcast on numerous I don't know if you, occasions. We haven't told you this, but you aren't the technical director <laughs> of Manchester United. I know I know it sometimes feels like that. but You just, might as just, well be. Might, I'd just check that out. I'll tell you, you know, what, I'd make some better decisions. You got wasn't from United. I'd make some better decisions than the current hierarchy. Um, it's been a poor season for Leicester. There's no two ways about it. And if you listen to Brendan Rodgers in his recent post-match interviews, he seems to have lost his way a little bit, you know, questioning the character of the players and, and the leadership. I think in some ways he does need to look a little bit closer to home. They weren't properly prepared for that Nottingham Forest game. Some of the players didn't seem to know what an FA Cup tie against one of your local rivals really meant. They're nine points above the relegation places, 10 off a European place. So they're closer to going down uh, than they are to getting uh, back into mainline European competition next season. They exited limply in the Europa League. Their FA Cup defence was pitiful. And I think it will get worse for Leicester before it gets better. And I'm really interested to see what happens in the summer because I think he will uh, see out the season. Brendan Rodgers, I think Yuri Tillemans will go. That's pretty clear now, probably to Arsenal. And I think the squad is in need of a bit, an over, a bit of an overhaul. We can point to their injury problems. Losing Fafana was a hammer blow. I still think that was a big moment in their season before a competitive ball had been kicked. But people keep saying, well, Johnny Evans has not been fit. Johnny Evans isn't going to stay fit now. He's at the veteran stage of his career. He's got a history of picking up niggly injuries. So they need they need a succession plan. I think the summer is going to be really pivotal to Brendan Rodgers because if they start next season badly, he could be in real trouble. West Ham have won their last three against Leicester, but they've lost their mojo a little bit. I was speaking to some of the coaching staff this week. They were saying, we lost a little bit of panache. Um, maybe they needed those reinforcements in the window. Uh, Tottenham against Wolves is Sunday at 2pm. Tottenham play West Ham on Sunday, the March the 20th. Put that date in your diary because it could be a pivotal game because no one seems to want to finish in the top four. Everyone's throwing points away. Uh, Spurs play Wolves this weekend with January rather draining for Tottenham Hotspur. February started perfectly for them with a victory uh, over Brighton in the FA Cup, only for them to lose at home to Southampton. They're defending in this game was terrible. And if they do that against Wolverhampton Wanderers, they're going to be in a world of pain because Wolves don't concede that many goals. They will defend well. They'll keep uh, Antonio Conte's team at arm's length. And surely they'll be able to strike if Davis, Royale and Sanchez continue to be all over the place. And Hugo Lloris, Kevin, keeps coming for things that he's not going to get. Yeah, and I think what tends to happen with Lloris, I always think, is that when he's not entirely confident in the back line in front of him, he feels like he has to do a lot more. And I just think 
if you've got Emerson Royale at right wing back, you know, that's that's always going to frighten you. I mean, this is a guy <laughs> that is very much an attacking wing back. He has good quality in that regard. But defensively, he doesn't have those instincts. You know, you see players that will come across on the cover and do the defensive basics. He doesn't do those. And I don't think he thinks of doing those. You have players slipping. You have players, uh, you know, not. The, the goal that made it one all was absurd. There, there were about four defenders in there, none of them closing the goal scorer down. Then you had the inability or unwillingness to close down one of the best crosses of a football in the entire Premier League. And so Conte will be tearing his wonderfully uh, coiffured hair out um, <laughs> because uh, he'll he'll just be dismayed. It is a long term project. I do think they look better. I do think Kulusevski and Bentancur will really help them in the long term. I think they're two really exciting signings for them. But they are still making the same kind of errors they were making earlier in the season. But I do feel there is more dynamism there. And I do feel there's a lot more optimism than there was under Nuno. God knows who's going to make it into the top four. If you were a betting man now, give me one name of one team who you think gets fourth place. Crook? Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, don't be so ridiculous. Uh, Kevin? Uh, United. I do think United will find a way. I think I think they'll do enough. I think it'll be between them and Spurs. I'm not sure about Arsenal in the long term. I think their transfer window was a long-term bet rather than a win-now mode kind of thing. So I think it's between Spurs and United. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Frank Lampard said no one should be surprised that Everton produced a performance that they did on Tuesday night because, well, they've been doing it all season. But um, he said he is there to change it, but he doesn't have a magic wand. Everton are in a relegation battle, aren't they? How serious is their predicament, Crook? Well, that's just what the Everton fans want to hear. One match in the Premier League into his tenure that he doesn't have a magic wand. I think they're in big trouble. Um, if, if you look at the direction of travel of the two clubs, I expect Newcastle now having still really to introduce their 
uh, January signings, with the exception of Trippier and Target, to really kick on. I actually think they'll survive comfortably. Um, I think they're going to put daylight between them and the bottom three quite quickly. Everton, only two points above Norwich, who, to their credit, have built up a bit of a head of steam now, seven points from their last nine. Uh, Watford have made themselves more defensively stable under Roy Hodgson. I still think, actually, Burnley and Watford will go down. And the last place for me is between Norwich, Everton, Leeds, and possibly Brentford. But Everton are certainly in there. They lost a couple of key players to injury as well in midweek. And for Frank Lampard to come out and almost wave the white flag after one game, that's very worrying. I, I think there's a really interesting dynamic here around Lampard. I like Lampard. I think he speaks well about the game. I, I think he does have this willingness to bring young players through. But I found the reaction to Vitor Pereira potentially coming in really interesting. So even before this bizarre Sky Sports interview where he went, uh, where he effectively pitched for the job on television, which is a very strange thing to do. But if you put Vitor Pereira's record up against Frank Lampard's, Pereira's more experienced. Pereira's won things. And so you're kind of gambling with Lampard because obviously he has immense Premier League experience. Pereira's last job in... Bundesliga 2, though, or something like that. Oh, look, he's had some... Look, I'm not... I felt at the time he wasn't the right man for the job. What I found was interesting was when you put those two coaches up against each other, if you knew nothing about them and you looked at their records, you would give the job to Vitor Pereira. Now, what I find interesting here is that this is a massive test of Lampard's ability to get a team playing in the way he wants and to actually be successful because that club is a mess, they have an appalling recruitment strategy. They got rid of Marcel Brantz, but who? Wh- where is the power at the top? And I just think this is where we really find out between now and the end of the season how good a coach Frank Lampard is because well, he has an underperforming squad and they are under massive pressure. It's interesting you say about the... Um the recruitment issue, and it is a massive problem. Tim Hay- Cahill, I think, is going to come in and, and be a part of some new regime at the top of the organisation. But if you look at um, the players that are injured, Gray had to be replaced after 20 minutes. He, over his career, he's often been injured. Godfrey, out again. Mina had to come off. The number of times he's been injured since he's been at Everton is pr- quite frightening, really. Dekure's out. Mikalenko's got COVID. Van der Beek had to come off after an hour. It could have been worse, actually, because John Joe Shelby should probably have been sent off for a challenge on Anthony Gordon, where he scissored him on the touchline. So, I mean, luckily, I think Gordon got away with that. But, you know, listen, there was every chance he could have picked up an injury from that situation. They've got a hell of a lot of injury problems. And one of the things they don't have is defenders. You know, they have a terrible back line. And to lose their two best defenders out of the four that they've got is a real worry going into a game against Leeds United, who basically just try to outscore you, as we saw in midweek. Yeah, and actually, if you look at the run of games after Leeds, they go to Southampton away. Then they've got Manchester City at home. They've still got to go to Spurs. They've got Wolves at home, who, as you know, I think have got an outside chance in the top four. They've got to go to West Ham. You didn't didn't say outside chance. You said they will finish in the top four. (laughs) He's backtracking already. It's only only been three minutes. They've got Manchester United at home. They've got a Merseyside derby. They've got Chelsea still to come to Goodison Park. And they finished the season away from home against Arsenal. I think they're going to be right in trouble until until the the final throws of the season. They might just be saved by Norwich, who despite their recent improvement, you still have to say are probably favourites to go down. But 
it, it would have been fanciful, wouldn't it, at the start of the season that we would have been talking about Everton in a relegation battle. But Kevin is absolutely right. And I've said it before. The problem goes deeper than the guy in the dugout because the club is run so badly at a boardroom level. But is Frank Lampard the person you need in a relegation dogfight? I guess we'll find out. We will find out. Simon Jordan said uh, rather critically, why are you putting Seamus Coleman up against Alan St. Maximum? Which is a great question. In an ideal world, you wouldn't want to do that. But who else are you going to play there? There is literally nobody else to play in that position. It, you know, Nathan Passon, I think, hasn't played yet or has is, is played very few minutes since coming in from Rangers. The fullback on the other side has obviously got COVID. They've only got one left back at the entire club. So it comes back to a central problem uh, with Everton, and that is that this is the culmination of years and years and years of bad work behind the scenes. I, I do hope that he's got the ability to, to turn it round. Whereas Newcastle United, who take on Aston Villa this Sunday uh, at two o'clock, moved out of the bottom three on Tuesday night. And Sunday provides Eddie Howe uh, with an opportunity to pit his uh, new signings against the other big January spender in Aston Villa. And after back-to-back wins, they're in a great position, Kevin. Yeah, they are. Uh, and I think uh, it shows how a transfer window can make a positive difference. Because if you bring in a guy like Kieran Trippier, that just lifts the whole football club. Because you've got a guy there who Atletico Madrid, the champions of Spain, were very, very keen to keep. And he was a massive part, even though he had that betting ban halfway through the season, over the, over the course of the season, he was a massive part of them winning La Liga last season. Somebody who, as you saw with the free kick, has great quality on the ball. Somebody who's improved as a defender. You can't work with Diego Simeone in multiple seasons and not improve as a defender. I think the signing of Bruno Guimaraes is going to be a massive boost for them in midfield. I know he didn't start the game, but I think uh, he is going to be a huge boost for them going forwards. Uh, I think from their point of view, they'd have liked to have signed. I know Dan Burns come in, but they'd have liked to have signed a top level centre-back and they weren't able to do that. But I think they've strengthened in the right areas. And in San Maximum, they have an incredible player. And I remember when I commentated on him with when he was a lot younger at Hanover and he was very raw, but the skill you see now in terms of the fast feet and the ability to go past people, that was there even then. And you looked at him and thought, okay, he's interesting. You didn't think, wow, because you just didn't know how he was going to perform consistently week to week. But the player now from the player then, uh, the consistency is there, the strength is there, the belief is there, and that ability to go past people was always there. So they've got a genuine superstar there. Talking of genuine superstars, before Wednesday night, Villa had uh, won four of their five games against the teams in the bottom six. They actually drew with Leeds United, but it does appear that Philippe Coutinho is finding his range. Two assists and a terrific goal as well against Leeds. Yeah, we might just look back at the end of the season as him being the, the, the best signing of the January transfer window. He was absolutely sensational in what Kevin has already said was a, a terrific advert for the Premier League. I think he did pick up an injury though, didn't he? Him and uh, Emmy yeah. Buendia. So Newcastle yeah. will be hoping that uh, those two aren't available because actually the presence of Coutinho seems to have brought uh, better performances out of Buendia as well. Stephen Gerrard will still be frustrated um, not to have picked up all three points in midweek. And I guess the question for Aston Villa now is, is, is what, what are their aspirations for the rest of this season? Because they are somewhat marooned, really, in mid-table. They're not going to 
mount a serious challenge for the European places? Is it just about building out momentum for next season? Because I expect them to be big investors in the summer transfer window. Yeah, it should be a great game, actually, between Newcastle and Aston Villa because neither team sit back and uh, defend. Um, I've said it about Villa all season. They've got the potential to be a really good team. They're good to watch. They press, they play, they've got high tempo about them. They entertain, they've got some creative players. Like Crook says, they're with Brighton, Leicester and Saints fighting out for the places either side of the halfway mark, aren't they really? That's that's going to be the limit of their ambition uh, this season. I spoke to Eddie this week, actually, Newcastle United boss Eddie Howe. He says he, he knows that nothing is solved so far. There's still a way to go. Um, and carrying on and focusing on just picking up points relentlessly in between now and the se- end of the season, just Every now and again, picking up points, you know, two wins in a row is probably not going to be three wins in a row because Newcastle to win three wins in a row is is something spectacular. He didn't say this. I'm saying this now. Uh, But the idea of just making sure that you just keep picking up points, even if it's a point this weekend against uh, Aston Villa, uh, that will be a good result for them. And Villa also damaged by the fact that Esri Condra uh, was sent off in the game in midweek and is going to be suspended for this fixture. Quick look at Burnley against Liverpool, Sunday, two o'clock. Burnley came out of the halftime break on Tuesday night against Manchester United, like a different side when they came from a goal down to draw with Manchester United. Veghorst, a real handful in the second half and dumped Maguire more than once. How will Liverpool get on against him, Kevin? In fact, let's talk to you about him because obviously you are going to be a big fan because he's emerged from German football. So anybody who comes out of Germany, you are like literally (laughs) a member of their fan club. So come on, tell us about him. So I did say uh, for a talk sport piece in the build up to the game that he was the cliche big man with a great touch. And I think he showed that against Manchester United because he's 6'6". We know how strong he is. But I think the way he turned took two players out of the game uh, before setting up Rodriguez for the the equalising goal shows what he's all about. He's very aware of what's around him. He's very intense. You know, this is a guy who's very spiky, uh, wants the team to do well. He's happy to call out teammates if it's necessary. And he'll do that in post-match interviews as well. If he doesn't feel the team has played well, he demands a lot of himself. That's the Dutch coming out in him, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And this is a guy who... It's a strange one with him because he's from a privileged background in the sense that his family own a massive chain of petrol stations in the Netherlands. So, you know, he he didn't have to fight in that regard like some players do. But he was told all the way through his early career, you're not going to make it as a pro. You're not good enough. And he had to really battle all the way. And having got to the era divisie, having scored a load of goals with RZ, he then took the next step. And he's full of confidence, full of self-belief. And if you wanted an identical striker for Burnley, he is it. So Chris Woods left. They got him for less money. They got the better deal by far. I mean, in terms of um, Burnley, defensively, they've had a few issues this season. They haven't kept as many clean sheets as they would usually do. But in the last few weeks, actually, we've seen a sign that that's improved again. I think they've kept three clean sheets recently. They only conceded one against Manchester United. Nick Pope was in particular good form. He'll have to be at his best to keep out Liverpool, though, won't he? Yes, he will. And obviously, uh, you you would expect Mohamed Salah to to start the game, having returned from AFCON. I know uh, Luis Diaz is already impressing his teammates in training. There's so many uh, attacking options for Jurgen Klopp. I just can't see Burnley getting anything from this game. I can't see them getting out of trouble. I really don't. I think if you said to me, who's a shoe in to go down, it would be Burnley. I know Kev has just waxed lyrical there about Veghorst, but is he going to get the service needed to score uh, the number of goals 
that would be required to keep them up. I think there's a, a question over Maxwell Cornet and his ability to stay fit. I think we've all felt for a while now, this is the year to quote Darren Lewis, that having circled the drain for a long time, Burnley go down. And I think this game at the weekend will be another nail in their coffin. Uh, Corner went hobbling off in the second half against United. They'll hope that's just cramped. Their home record is dreadful. Uh, one win in the last 19 at Turf Moor, which used to be the place where um, they would get some or seek some solace. Uh, no victories anywhere in the last 100 days. They've scored just three goals in eight. It's a pretty bleak statistical analysis, although Sean Dyche seems pretty comfortable on the surface. We've been here before. We've got the T-shirt. We will be Okay. Right, let's get to Watford against Brighton because Watford haven't won since November the 20th and will the Hornets be able to sting the Seagulls? Let's get a little bit of quizzing with Lucy. All right. Hello. Yeah, I'm all right. You okay? Yeah, how are you? Yeah, Thanks, I'm spoke good. for ages. It feels like ages since we had you on the pod. Well, yeah, it's been about two weeks, hasn't it? So, um, look, you know, there is a, a rumour that we're going to start doing uh, a video podcasts coming up over the next few weeks. Um, is, does this mean that we're going to get to see more of you? Uh, I'm going to try and avoid that like the plague. Why? <laughs> I because... think you should do it in a fairy costume because, you know, we play the fairy music when you come in. It's slightly cliched that, Crook. It's, I don't necessarily think that would be a great look for a football podcast. You know, funny, in terms of... is Crook going to dress as a fairy? I'm really confused. Is that is that what's happening <laughs> if, here? If, if Crook if Crook dressed as a fairy, it looked like that geezer out of Rent a Ghost from 1983, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> There's a reference to the teenagers, Sam. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to Google it, folks. But then again, if yeah. you're listening to this, you know how to use the internet. Uh, right, Luce, what you got for us? Okay, so this week's quiz, we're going to have a look at Saturday's game, Watford against Brighton, and I'm going to start with you, Kev. Oh no. Okay. So, who is currently the oldest player in the Brighton squad? Oh. oh, what an amazing question. My mind has gone completely blank. Who would it be? Years ago, it would have been Bruno, wouldn't it? But he's obviously... Yeah, yeah. That, well, that was the first one that sprung to mind and he's not there anymore. Uh, who would it be? I've gone completely. A, a, a blank answer. Crookie's there, poised. Can, He's ready. I can see it. Can I have a stab at Adam Lallana? That is correct. Adam oh. Lallana. At the grand old age of 33. It's a young squad. Right, Sam. Yeah. If anyone needs some Valentine's Day gift ideas, then they should look no further than the Brighton official online shop. There's some great deals on there, including a four-pack of branded shot glasses. But Sam, how much would they set me back? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, one of the Brighton's problems is they don't have enough shots. Um, <laughs> let, how much would Brighton branded chocolate? I reckon it would cost you nine ninety nine. That is incorrect, Kev. Oh, I would have gone for nine ninety nine, but I'm going to go for twelve ninety nine. Incorrect. They're cheaper. They're cheaper. Crook. Seven ninety nine. Incorrect. You're all incorrect. They're actually only six pound. I thought we were. I might get some of those. I might get some of those. No, you won't. I'm worried that I was more confident answering that question than the one that was an actual football question. (laughs) Slightly alarmed by that, if I'm honest. Trust me, there's not another football question coming now. (laughs) Crook. So referee Jonathan Moss will be taking charge of this game on Saturday. 
Now, two years ago, he came under fire for wearing personalised football boots to an FA Cup semi-final clash between Manchester City and Arsenal. But what did he have on his boots? Mossy. Correct, Mossy, his nickname. That's, that's oh, original. You are <laughs> kidding me. <laughs> I made that 2 0. I'm going to John Moss's uh, cafe in Leeds in a couple of weeks' time, right? Because he's got a cafe called the Vinyl Whistle. He sells vinyl records, a brilliant name for a cafe. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm bringing that up because Mossy is just so uninventive, isn't it? Well, if somebody who came up with a vinyl whistle, you'd think, you know, you'd have a decent stab at a decent nickname. Not Mossy. Yeah. Not Mossy. Norwich against Manchester City is live on TalkSport at 5.30 on Saturday evening. Norwich were beaten 5-0 by City earlier in the season. I think they beat them 5-0 the time before as well. What has Dean Smith done in the last two months that might stop this from being a mauling, Kevin? (laughs) That's a very good question because I think it probably will be a mauling. I guess one of the things he's done is at least energise some of the players who weren't anywhere near the standard required. I thought what was interesting in the last game was that we actually started to see glimpses of the real Milot Rashica, uh, which has been a long time in coming. There's a guy who, when he first came onto the Bundesliga scene, looked incredible, scoring free kicks, taking players on, and then completely lost his way. Werder Bremen uh, sunk without trace and he offered nothing, absolutely nothing. He was linked with a move away a few times, seemed to sulk when it didn't go through. And hadn't tangibly offered Norwich anything, but there, there were glimpses of his, of that kind of performance level against Palace. They do look as if they believe a bit more they can compete at this level. Obviously, Dean Smith's made tweaks tactically in that regard. I still don't think the squad's anywhere near good enough to stay up. I think the fact that they got mega excited about Josh Sargent uh, scoring that brace tells you everything because he's not good enough for the Premier League and I think he's kind of no fault of his own. He came he's out of Germany. Point. Hold on, he came out of Germany. Yeah, well, he was one of the very few players who came out of German football that I said, yeah, he's not going to do it. Is that because <laughs> he's American? Are you anti-American? You're out of order, you are. Do you know, the American thing is interesting because I think if he was called Jozo Sargent and he was German, you wouldn't know who he was. I think one of the big things that drove him forwards and gave him more opportunities than some other players was the fact that he was a young American player who they thought, you know, they do tend to push the American players forward more. He's a good kid. He's a hard worker. Really fit, isn't he? Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who will cover every blade of grass for you. I, I like him as a guy, like his attitude, work ethic. I just don't think he's a goal scorer at this level. And I think that kind of signing has not worked for the Canaries at all. Great hair, though, hasn't it? I mean, fantastic mop of hair. Um, they've scored a couple of goals recently, though, haven't they? An, an early one against Crystal Palace, also against Watford and Everton. They certainly have more chance now, uh, however slim it is, of surviving than they did before they hired Dean Smith, Crookie. Yes, no credit to them. Uh, as you know, I've been very <laughs> critical uh, of Norwich this season. I thought they were dead have and I think they'll probably I think they'll probably still go down, but I think Dean Smith has shown uh his credentials with the fact he's given them a fighting chance because I saw them in the reverse meeting at Palace. They were uh, ravaged by COVID injuries, they got absolutely battered. So they've made definite progress in a relatively short period of time. What about Manchester City though? Do we think that Pep Guardiola 
is just doing things with his team selection now to just keep himself interested because they won the league. He picked three centre-backs against Brentford. Nobody really saw that coming. Didn't really have an orthodox right back and they still won at a canter. Do we think he's bored and he's just trying to, you know, challenge himself as a manager? What can I do here to make the game a little bit more spicy? Throwing the, the, the names into a, a tombola and just picking them out, which is really bad for fantasy football, uh, especially seeing as City face Sporting next Tuesday in the Champions League, which will influence his team selection uh, this weekend. That game, by the way, is also live on TalkSport next Tuesday and night. So when you're sitting there planning your fantasy football weekend, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh God, Cancelo's not going to play. He's my best player. For <laughs> God's sake, a nightmare. Um, Riyad Mahrez has been one of their best players though, hasn't he? I mean, he played one ball in that game with Brentford on on, on his return from the AFCON that seemed to slice the bees' defence in two. Um, he's been their most regular source of goals over the course of the season, scored in each of their last seven and 16 goals for the season so far. I think he's a fabulous player. I think he's such a consistent performer. Obviously, you go back to what he did for Leicester, but he's carried that on at City because you can't survive at that football club unless you hit a really high technical level all the time. And he's done it. He's a a consistent goal scorer for them. He's somebody that Guardiola clearly respects. Every so often, he challenges him by putting him out of the side. But I think he's a wonderful footballer. And I think he's turned up in big, big games as well for City. And I think he is, you know, one of the most exciting players still in the Premier League. I think he's a great player. Really do. Okay, that game is live 5.30 on Saturday night. Uh, Three o'clock on TalkSport 2 on Saturday Brentford against Crystal Palace. Brentford gave Manchester City two goals to get them started in midweek, didn't they? Um, they've played four games more than Burnley, the bottom team. Just say Burnley won all of those games. They'd have more points than Brentford right now. They couldn't. Could they slip in? Could they? Well, Burnley won't win four games. Um, no, but so- could they slip in? I mean, they I, could, the, point, they I was, could. the yeah. point I was making was, is that statistically they ain't that far away. No, and they've lost six games in a row now. Obviously, Christian Eriksen still to come in. They'll be hoping that he can give them an added attacking spark because they seem to have forgotten how to score goals. They've conceded 40 times now um, in their 24 matches, so they're leaking at the other end as well. I think I think they'll stay up, but I think it'll be a lot closer than maybe they would have expected after the start they made to the season. And I do wonder, and it's, it's almost been un- underplayed, how much damage that video of Ivan Tony may have done in the dressing room because that that just wasn't great, was it? It was a strange video that, that came out. Obviously, he didn't he, play He didn't in play midweek. in midweek, did he? No. Uh, was, was that because they chose not to use him after what had happened or well, because it's, it's just there was odd. a falling out? It's, it's just odd and it, and it suggests that actually Brentford have been this lovable, fluffy club, everybody's second team this season, but maybe all is not quite as well as it seems. I said when we spoke at the start of the season that I felt they might struggle. Um and they've done it the other way around. So a lot of the time you see teams maybe struggle to get to grips with the Premier League and then they find their feet and start to get results. They've done it the other way. I think they've lost eight of the last 11, including the last six. It's interesting when you look at their, and Crookie's going to raise his eyebrows at me again, but it's interesting when you look at the XG because they're actually underperforming defensively and in attack. So in that regard... more goals. 
in t- yeah, in terms of their overall performances, they should have conceded fewer and they should have scored more. I, mm. I think there was a bit of naivety against City. Uh, I think if you look at the second goal, obviously you look at David Riot, it's, it's a terrible, terrible error. But it comes from a general idea of, oh, let's play through the Manchester City press. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> well, also the other thing, Kevin, is, is that David Raya, you know, has come back into the team. He was brilliant at the beginning of the season. He's come back to the team and had a terrible injury. It was out for such a long time. His replacement was absolutely dreadful. Um, and literally the reason that their XG uh, for goals conceded is so bad uh, in comparison to, to to what it should be is because he kept dropping them in the net yeah. and, and that was yeah. happening far too often. So they thought maybe well, David Ray is coming back. It might solidify things a little bit. At least he's got his error out the way in a game against Manchester City because, you know, Going forward, you'd like to think he performs on a more consistent and better basis. They need him. They need him, especially yeah. going up against a, a Crystal Palace side who uh, have not only got uh, Wilfred Zaha scoring stunning goals like he scored in, in midweek, but also Mateta have fallen for a little bit recently. I might be wrong here, but there's signs with him that he's starting to have a little bit more influence. The way he uses those pipe cleaner legs to get in and out of people with the ball. I think he's got a little bit of something about him. Um Shall we talk about the penalty miss, shall we? Because it was probably the worst penalty miss I've ever seen in Premier League football history. <laughs> it was up there with that. You know, listen, it was before the Premier League times, but you'll have to go back to Pat Nevin stumbling over the ball at Stamford Bridge in the early 80s. Even I was too young to see that live. But um, it was a terrible, terrible penalty miss from Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, but fair play to be fronted up to the media afterwards and, and almost allowed himself a smile. I think it was unfortunate. He slipped and obviously kicked the, the, the ball against his standing leg. It, had it gone in, it would probably have been disallowed anyway. But yeah, not a great moment. Uh, and the fact it came so soon after scoring what was a, a terrific goal uh, is ironic. But just on Palace, I think we've lavished them with praise this season. And Patrick Vieira, for way that, the way that he's implemented his own playing style and, and changed the way that they approach games compared to what they did under Roy Hodgson. They've only actually won five of their 23 matches. They've got 25 points. They're only a couple of places ahead of Brentford in the table. If Brentford were to pull off what would be a surprise based on current form and win this game, do we have to start talking about Crystal Palace as a team who maybe should be looking nervously over their shoulders? Because they aren't... Kev will probably have the XG stats. Yeah, but they aren't picking up the points that their performances necessarily deserve. I, and that's totally a worrying trend. And away from home, they've really struggled. They've won just two of their last 17 away from home, which is a problem going into this game in particular. Um, I don't know. I mean, the XG, I, I haven't got it in front of me, but I imagine that they probably haven't scored as many goals as they should have done. Uh, hold on, caller, that we can find out. I think that is the issue. Uh, I think there's a lot of nice approach play. It's a difficult one because he's trying to completely change the style. If you were being really harsh, there's an air of Emperor's New Clothes about it because they're not getting the results that, you know, if you look at the praise that he's been given, Patrick Vieira, um, he's not getting the results that are commensurate with that. And, but And just I to do... underscore that, looking at the table, the, ex, the, the expected points total, they have got the biggest disparity in what they've actually got and what they should have on expected points. You know, expected points says they should have 35 points, which is... Yeah. What higher than the likes of Arsenal, for example? They've got twenty-five, which is an issue. You know that that their goals is about right, but they've conceded eight more goals than they should have done. Than they should have on, done. 
XG. So I think the harsh view would be, well, he's getting all this praise. Where are the results? But actually, in terms of the process, in terms of changing how they play, making them more effective in the long run, as long as they stay up. And that is an open question at the moment. But in the long run, when it gets to the summer, firstly, you can say to players, this is how we play. We play attractive football. We want to have the ball. And players will go, well, that looks like fun. I'll do that. And you've always got the boost of London as well when you're trying to recruit players. But the other thing as well is that as a group, they'll be much more confident about the direction of travel. And so I do think this is a long-term bet. And as long as they don't go down in the meantime, and I don't think they will, I think they'll be all right. I think in the end, Vieira's in the right direction. Anything else, Crookie, that you want to go really bold on? I mean, we've had Manchester United in complete disaster. Wolves getting into the top four. Teams being relegated. You started to wobble on Norwich now, haven't you? I mean, obviously, because they're starting to creep up the table. Anything else bold you want to say about the weekend? No, not really. I think that's enough bold predictions for, for one <laughs> podcast. I'll be, I'll be back next week with a few more, no doubt. Uh, Crookie's had a really good week this weekend. Do you, know what, do you want to know what made his week this week, Kevin? Oh, is it something uh, ice skating related? No, he was very good on that, I thought. I mean, that maybe made his week, but actually what put the biggest smile on his face was me ringing him up yesterday to tell him that I have put on so much weight, I had to go and buy a suit yesterday afternoon in an emergency because <laughs> I couldn't get into my trousers. <laughs> Marvellous stuff. Yeah. It's all the travel, yeah. Sam. It's no, difficult the- to eat right on the road. Listen, if you want to stay on after the recording and, and, and give you some tips about my healthy lifestyle and how to lose weight, <laughs> we'll have a conversation. Yeah, we, we should do some workout video together, shouldn't we? That would definitely go viral for all the wrong reasons. Uh, right, that's it. We'll be back on uh, Monday morning when you wake up. Crook and I will be recording on Sunday evening with Darren Lewis, who's going to join us on Sunday this week. It's a Thursday. Uh, so we'll speak to you on Monday morning, reviewing all the weekend's action and what a weekend it could be. Live on TalkSport, Manchester United versus Southampton. Plus, uh, we've got Brentford, Crystal Palace on TalkSport 2. And we finish our game day at 5.30 on TalkSport with Norwich against Manchester City. Tune in. Uh, make sure you have your say as well on the phone-ins with the guys afterwards. We'd love to hear from you and if you've got anything to uh, say to Alex Crook it's at Alex uh, what is it at Alex what underscore Crook on Twitter that's it yeah particularly um, like to hear from Norwich fans always yeah 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 yeah. always good it's great for us because we love googling his name and just reading the comments uh, <laughs> we'll see you Monday The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.